All right, well, good evening. We are in uh, the book of First Timothy, but not really, as these introductory lessons often uh, have a lot of setup. And, uh, of course, uh, being the history book of the New Testament Acts, uh, we'll be spending a lot of time there to get a lot of background information on what's going on. And we'll be right back in the book of Acts tonight, some more in verse nine, uh, chapter 9 this time. And the, the remarkable thing about uh, chapter 9 is where Paul's, the history of Paul's conversion occurs, right? And it's an amazing conversion if you read it. And you consider who he was and who he became. And what the Lord, the, the work that the Lord did in him. And we'll be talking about that tonight. So verses 15 and 16 of Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said unto him, speaking to Ananias, Go thy way, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and of the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our evening here tonight, for our study through the book of First Timothy. Lord, for the opportunity to set the context and uh, all the rest, Lord, through these, this initial lesson here. I pray, Lord, that you would get me out of the way, and f but fill me with your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to allow your word to go forth and your people to be edified and grow closer to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe may be seated. <clears throat> All right, so uh, we've, we've gone through a, a church is established, um, point A, a church birth, church growth, uh, two lessons on that, and now we're moving to point B, or point two, a leader is developed. And we'll be talking about leadership, um, not necessarily requirements, but maybe characteristics of leadership that we see here tonight uh, in the context of church leadership. So we started out in Acts chapter 9, reading some of Paul's conversion. And, uh, but to set the context here in this is leadership positions in church. Um, if we consider what, 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 where does that come from? What, what are the qualifications? First Timothy lays out a bunch of them uh, for the position of pastor and, and, and deacons and the rest. But no, what, what is the primary um, uh, point in this? Um, it's not that you one day wake up and decide you're, you're going to be a leader in the church. There's a definite calling and a gift, gifts that are given to men to become these leaders in church. And we see in, in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And these gifts that are given, not, not everyone has, and there are other gifts that are listed too, um, gifts aren't given, all of them, to one person. The only one who ever had all of them, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But... Some are given these gifts to be pastors, and that's um, a calling of God that he will, he'll, he'll, he will give to some, not to all. And uh, something to carefully consider because it's not to be taken lightly, lightly leadership roles. And uh, with that, by way of introduction, we have start out with a question in your books. 
interesting how the teacher's manual had us go through and start the lesson with a question. Question number 11. How does a person develop the skills of confident and competent leadership? That's what your book asks. So with the setup of leadership in the church is a gift of God, um, how is that developed? Is the context here? Well, first to recognize not everybody is a born leader in that sense. Now, maybe God has, 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 has given the gift of being a pastor to some who would not necessarily be a, a natural born leader. Um, God can do that, and he can work in that, and he can develop that man into a great pastor and servant of him. But how does a person develop the skills of confident and competent leadership? Well, perhaps the best way is to serve along a confident and competent leader. Right, you learn by example. Um, those of you that have ever been in the military, uh, you can look to those that are in authority over you. And people, I would assume there are some good examples out there of, of leaders and some not so good examples out there. And that would be, for me, in, the, in the, the engineering side of things, in the business world, there are good leaders. You'd follow them anywhere. And then there are ones that are not. You can learn from both. But the best way, I think, is to learn by somebody who knows what they're doing. Now, these are, these are skills that are developed. Not everybody walks right out of school or right out of Bible college or right out of this and drops right into a position where they can just continue to just run with it. It's, it's, a, it's an awesome responsibility to be a leader. There are people who are counting on you. There are people that... Um, that are looking for you, looking to you for direction and for wisdom and guidance. So let's continue here. In Acts chapter 9, we find the conversion of Saul. Here we find that Paul was, a, was competent in the ways of the Jewish religion, having studied at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers. He's competent in the law. Okay, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 5, we find that he was a Pharisee. He was, he was confident that his work of chasing after and imprisoning Christians was God-honoring. He was confident in this. He sought letters to, uh, to go to Damascus to carry out this, what he thought was a God-honoring mission. Philippians 3.6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was a man who thought he was doing right after what he thought was, what he knew was right. In Acts chapter 22, and we find this in a few different places too throughout the word of God, is that Paul summarizes his testimony. His, the history of recording of the event is in Acts chapter 9. But Paul himself and uh, the, the other writers recall, in this case in the book of Acts, recall Paul's testimony. Paul's testimony of his conversion. And just to kind of take a small rabbit trail. Each of us here has a testimony, a testimony of conversion, right? When you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ alone to be your savior, because you realized you couldn't do enough good works, you couldn't persecute enough Christians, you couldn't do all of these things that we would thought were righteous in the past, you couldn't do enough, and that each of us has a testimony of salvation. And we find Paul recounting that in several places throughout scripture. 
But in Acts chapter 22, Paul says that he was zealous toward God and persecuted Christians with imprisonment and even unto death. He was confident and under conviction that he was doing God's will. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, right, and this way is Christianity, followers of Jesus Christ, whether they were men or women, it didn't matter. Who's going after them all? He might bring them bound unto Jerusalem to face persecution, to face imprisonment, to face possibly death. Paul had confidence. He was not only competent, he had confidence in his abilities and in what he was doing, and in that what he was doing was right. He was competent in matters of the law, but there was no indwelling Holy Spirit to direct his steps at this point. Paul is doing what he thinks is right, according to what he believes to be right. Right? We can be sincere about things, and we can be sincere that uh, about a lot of things, but it doesn't make them true. Right? We can definitely be wrong. We can be convicted to our core, and the world around us is convicted to their core that their dealings and their doings and their ways are the right thing to do. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 3, And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus, and suddenly there shined round, round about him a light from heaven. Let's just back up for a second, though. Saul's confidence was not in God. It was in himself in his knowledge uh, of the things that he had learned. But instead of working righteousness, he was working against the Lord, and we see that here. Verse 4, after this light shined round about him from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice, saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why, why persecutest thou me? And Paul answered and said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecuted. Is it hard for thee to kick against? It is hard for thee to kick against the bricks. And he, trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He's been seeking what he's supposed to do. Of the righteous, what righteousness should I do in my life with my life? And now he's, he's, confront, he's confronted with the capital truth, with the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. And what is his question? He's surrendered now. What wilt thou have me to do? When the light of Jesus Christ has shined on our hearts, the question we have to ask ourselves is, when that happens, what will you do with that light? What will you do with Jesus Christ? And for those of you that know him as Savior, you know exactly what you've done, is that you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man couldn't see anything at all. And they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. <clears throat> you know, e each of us that when we get saved, we have our meeting Jesus moment, 
that time when you get to you, you decide what you're going to do with Jesus. I've I've tried to make maybe a visual analogy of this is that there is a God is working in each of our lives to bring us to that point, right? It's, it's taking all of our life experience, bringing us to this point where, okay, now is the time when you have to choose Christ. Are you going to reject Christ and back off into the world around what you've known, the sinful life that you've known? Or are you going to decide to trust in Jesus Christ at that exact moment and go forward into your life for him? And I mean, I, that's, that's how I've recognized my life uh, since being saved. It's been nearly 14 years now in, in, um, on the 14th of April, it will be for me. Uh, so we're coming up on that anniversary for me of the Lord saving me. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we jump in and out of 1 Timothy in this, this first lesson. Chapter tw- uh, verses 12 and 13, and I think Paul recounts this time of, of uh, Acts chapter 9. And he, and he writes here, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. Right? So Paul was trying to be righteous. He was doing what he thought was right, but it turned out that it was working against God. God uh, Jesus had written here, or had said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And Paul did his, did his work of unrighteousness in ignorance. Now he knows at this point. Now he recognizes it. And this is his testimony of, I'm, I'm this person, I used to be this person, and, in, and uh, should I say, apart from the, the grace of God, I still am this person who went around per, uh, persecuting Christians, putting them in prison, having them killed, being complacent at the complicit at the uh, stoning of Stephen, participating in that. But through that, God used me. God can use me. God is using me. And I think each of us can say the same thing, too. I've, I've heard stories of around here of people that you've met, each of you have met, that have had a pretty rough life. And whether it be I don't know, I've, I've, motorcycle bikers and all the rest and tattoos up and down and all this kind of stuff. But they get saved and the Lord has changed them from the inside out. Now again, some of the scars from our life before don't go away. They're still there. But God still can work through us. And that's the amazing testimony of a changed life through Jesus Christ is that you truly are a new creature. You have a choice now. You don't have to serve sin. And Paul now has a choice not to serve sin. And uh, we see here now um, that through this, you know, the Apostle Paul used greatly of, of the Lord to, to write down these letters, to be preserved to Scripture. Um as a testimony to others around him, it's like, yeah, even God can save Saul, a man like Saul, and use him for his glory. To that point, who are we? 
we've met some people on visitation in times past where they say, I'm just I'm too I'm too far gone or I'm too bad the Lord can't the Lord can't save me you're 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 doubting the almighty eternal great creator of this world and his son Jesus Christ who forgave all sins to everyone who chooses to believe that to who chooses to believe in Jesus Christ you're choosing to not believe and again, that, that, that I word, that pride, pride word comes up, right? It's God can't save me because I'm too bad. Nobody's too far gone in that sense. I, choo- I believe that while each person has breath on this earth, they still have the chance and the choice to trust Christ. Now, we, we read about hardening of hearts in Scripture whether it be Pharaoh and Pharaoh himself hardening his heart or whether later the Lord hardening his heart. At this point, we don't know who the Lord has hardened their heart. At this point, all that we know is, you know, preach the gospel to this person. If they repent and trust Jesus Christ, count another soul for the kingdom and praise the Lord. Question number 12 in your books. How was it that Paul, who described himself as a former blasphemer, persecutor, and violent man, was selected and equipped? So there's some key words I'll touch on here in a little bit. Was selected, and I'll put air quotes around that, and equipped to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. Maybe let's focus on the equipped portion of it. How was it that Paul was equipped to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Brother Charles? By the, gift that God gave. By the gifts that God gave, right? Right, he was equipped, the gifts that he was given. Then the prime one, right, when you get saved, you're indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That gift of the Holy Spirit is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. The Holy Spirit is a gift of God. That enables you to live for God and do God's work, right? We are the channel, the vessel that God uses in this temporal time, in this, this temporal world, in this earth, to work his work. But how much of that is done is up to us as far as how much we, we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Are we in tune with what God has for us, with what his word says? And are we doing what we we know to be right, or are we quenching the Holy Spirit? Are we uh, not yielded? Are we thinking of ourselves first? Something to consider. It's it's you know a hard thing when you're not right with the Lord. To those opportunities come along and you're like, oh, I should have talked to that person. I should have handed them a tract. I should have fill in the blank. But when you're right with the Lord and you do these things, you follow his promptings and his leadings, uh, it's good. We're doing right at that point. All right, so this other word that the, uh, the question here put here was how was it that Paul was selected to be an apostle of Jesus Christ? Um, if you know anything about these lessons in our time studying through from this particular uh, publisher, they lean with a Calvinist or Augustinian bent and of Reformed theology. And 
uh, you kind of you kind of pick up on some things every once in a while and this word selected is a charged and loaded word so when it comes from somebody who professes Calvinism or more rightly stated Augustinianism followers of Augustine of Hippo um, you, you wonder what it is so when somebody says is somebody selected well it's really a loaded word and this comes and it follows along with selected elected or chosen and they all have uh, Augustinian undertones and we've gone through this a lot so I'm not going to uh, spend a whole lot of time on this but the thing about the Bible is if we consider what the Bible actually says not what it teaches not what we think it says but what the words actually say in context in the immediate context of the passage of the verse of the passage of the book and then of the entire word of God Right. Scripture itself does not contradict itself. Scripture does not contradict itself. God does not contradict himself. So if we consider what the Bible actually says about Saul, verses, uh, chapter 9, verses 15 and 16 of Acts, But the Lord said unto him, Ananias, Go thy way, for he, Saul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here we have the word, Saul is a chosen vessel. Oh no, what do we do with that? But if we read the immediate context here, Saul was chosen to do something for God. It's not that Saul was chosen, he's one of the chosen. No, it's not that. Paul was a chosen vessel unto me, chosen to bear my name before the Gentiles. He was chosen to service, chosen to a calling, chosen to do something. Now, of course, Paul is saved, testimony of salvation that he gives. But in this case, the word chosen, elect, selected, all of these different things, synonyms. When you read through them all, the context of chosen to salvation cannot be found in one of them throughout all of scripture. That is a case of eisegesis, where you're bringing meaning into the text and you're importing somebody's philosophy that lived in the fourth century of, in, in Northern Africa into scripture and making it say something that scripture does not say. So be careful. So these verses do not say that Saul was chosen to salvation before the foundation of the world. This is what the lesson guide, as I've stated here, often implies when using the word selected. So moving on, Saul had confidence, had, Saul had confident and competent leadership abilities. There's no doubt about that. And now Saul, being born again, could use those gifts to glorify God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Following his conversion, he went to a remote location for a period of time to be equipped directly by Jesus Christ. We've already gone, spent a couple years, I think it was, in the book of Galatians, but Galatians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul got the gospel directly from the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, taught for we find here later three years by the Lord Jesus Christ the other apostles also interesting taught for three years 
by the Lord Jesus Christ as well in his earthly ministry. Paul recounts his sinful persecution of Christians again here in verses 13 and 14. For ye have heard of my conversion in the time pa- conversation in the time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. His conversation, his manner, his way of doing things, it's what he was known to be doing. How uh, that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Wasted it. That's... I mean, that's, that's pretty strong right there. It wasn't that he just sought to stamp it, or to, to just rid it and disperse it. It was, it was actively wasting, actively grinding it out, seeking to completely stamp it out. And profited in Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my father. So here again, he's recounting to the, the Galatians this time, his testimony. Verse 15, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Now, note here that God revealed Christ to Paul. Paul was called by God's grace to preach Christ among the heathen. So that's, you unpack that particular uh, verses 15 and 16 in that manner. What does Paul do next? So the next thing he does after Christ is revealed to him and that he is called to preach the gospel among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. So let me go, let me go check to everybody else. Is this something that I'm supposed to be doing? He's heard a direct call from the Lord. He goes out and he takes care of business and gets to it. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. So here we get the three years that Paul was in Arabia in the area south of Damascus, learning from the Lord Jesus Christ himself, um, learning the the message of the gospel. Then we later see that he is then uh, testified of by Barnabas and accepted by the the uh, the remainder of the, the church in Jerusalem. So from verse 12, we see that Paul received that instruction from Jesus for a three-year period. The Lord had taught the word of God and the skills of ministry to Paul as he had with the other disciples. And you know, direct instruction by the one who created everything. Uh, we don't have that today other apart from the word of God. So God has preserved his words for us today in, in the Bible, and we can read that today. Uh, how, how much of a blessing it would be to have Jesus Christ directly there teaching you. How much, it would be, how much of a blessing it would be to be uh, around Christ, the opportunity to be around Christ during his earthly ministry. Well, greater things than that are coming. Christ is coming suddenly. It's always been soon since his return. He will rule and reign with a rod of iron for a thousand years in righteousness. We'll get to see that. You know, it was only three years of his earthly ministry here, a thousand years, and then all of eternity after that with the Lord. It's going to be amazing beyond anything that you can think. So 
So what a privilege for Paul to be taught personally by Jesus, but also what a responsibility Christ gave him. He didn't give Paul a private education so that Paul could hoard away his knowledge, right? It wasn't that he went to seminary or so-and-so Bible college to get XYZ degrees and PhD, THD, and MDiv, whatever you want to call it, to go sit on a mountaintop and score, or just waste away in a monastery. No. That, that knowledge given to him was given such that it can be poured out, that it could be shared with others. The gospel communicated to him could be communicated to others to propagate, to see more saved and come into the kingdom. This is the purpose. It's the purpose for each of us here today, too. That's why we're still here. If you still, still draw breath and you can get up and walk around, whether you can't get up and walk around, there are some that, that were out there dialing on telephones that they can't even walk, that I've heard stories of. What's our excuse? So rather, Paul was commanded to take what he learned and, to, and communicate it through mentoring countless others who would then share it with others, right? The Christian life and being a Christian and spreading the gospel is an ongoing thing to do. It's not something as, well, we don't consider Mormons Christians or brothers in Christ at all. They worship a false Christ. Uh, but there, they, they send out their young men on two-year mission trips, and that's all the witnessing they ever do. They're all done after that. They've done their part. I've talked to several on our visitation here, too, and says, well, yeah, I did my mission trip in such-and-such such state or such-and-such such country, but, yeah, we don't really go out and witness anymore after that. So it's, it's only a one-time thing. You only do it for this two-year period, and, no, that's not... That's not the Christian life. That's, first of all, enough said on Mormonism, not Christian. The Christian life, the responsibility of each of us is to communicate that gospel message that we once heard, that someone once shared with us to a lost world around us. And I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to hearing pastor's plans on uh, just bringing back our witnessing uh, opportunities here and, and what we're going to do in that. That's something I'm really looking forward to. Then in Acts chapter 16, question number 13 that will be coming up. Acts chapter 16, verses 1, 2, 4, and 5. So Paul was commanded to take what he learned and communicate it through mentoring countless others who would then share it with others. And again, continued set up here for the book of 1 Timothy. Acts chapter 16, verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewish, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 4. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to help that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Question number 13. Considering this time here in Acts chapter 16 where Paul 
and others meet Timothy and they're traveling around, what lessons about ministry would Timothy have learned from serving alongside Paul at this time? Brother Austin? Right, he would, he, how to deal with conflict and contention within the family between uh, a believing mother and an unbelieving father. Uh, how, to, how to handle that, that's, that's addressed in Paul's writings as well. If you have a believing, uh, someone who's a believer and their spouse is not, what should you be doing? Well, you show the, you show the love of God toward them. And, and you, you don't you show the love of God for, to, to, to them. <clears throat> well, you could say, too, that um, he would have learned how to deal with persecution. The Apostle Paul, in his travels around, was often had some pretty terrible things done to him, beatings and, and, and whippings and stonings and, and all the rest, and foul language and, and all the rest uh, railed at him. How to deal with persecution. I think, too, how to share the gospel. Right? We each, you, you, can, you can memorize the Romans road or particular scripture passages, but you know, having the word of God hid in your heart is the most important thing. And if you don't have much of that or you forget sometimes, you can have a Bible along with you, but if you forget, you always have that testimony of your own salvation which again, we see the Apostle Paul recounting multiple times throughout scripture here of who he used to be and who the, God, who the Lord had changed him into. And also too here as uh, verse five, and so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily and how to organize a church. What is church? What is church administration, organization? How do you run a church, what is, how does a pastor, how does a leader in the church behave themselves and behave themselves toward the body of Christ that they're overseers of? All right, so in, 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 uh, in summer here that, you know, while Saul, the man Saul, had the qualities of confidence and competence, it was really void without the Holy Spirit in his life. So, yes, he had knowledge, not wisdom. Once he received the Holy Spirit, being born again, God was able to use those gifts for his glory going forward. And we also see, too, and will be seeing here in, uh, in Paul's dealings with Timothy, is that mentorship is, a vital, uh, is vital in carrying out the Great Commission. You know, it's, it's, it's here, Acts chapter 16, that going through all the cities, delivering them decrees, sharing the gospel, setting up churches, it's mentoring younger believers, new believers, discipling them in right doctrine. And uh, these things are the responsibility of more mature Christians. So mentorship, and again, the continuation, the propagation of Christianity throughout the world is the responsibility of each Christian. 
Christianity is only one generation from becoming extinct, right? If Christians don't beget more Christians, well, if the Lord, if they don't allow the Lord to use them to beget more Christians, maybe a better way to to do that, spreading the gospel. Um, Christianity is only one generation away from extinction in that sense. So in that sense, it's, it's all of our responsibilities to go out there and share the gospel. Let God's Holy Spirit work. We're not going to argue somebody into becoming a Christian, uh, but sharing the gospel in love is what we're commanded to do. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for this study here. And Timothy, being able to look at uh, leadership qualities and, and the Apostle Paul's ministry, starting out here, his his uh, leadership ability, his, his mentorship of younger Christians, especially uh, Timothy. We thank you, Lord, that you've saved us, that know you as Savior, that someone had come alongside of us uh, to mentor us and, and to grow us. Lord, help us each to look for those opportunities of witness to the lost world around us, opportunities to encourage fellow believers to disciple others. Lord, we thank you for your, your never-leaving indwelling spirit. We ask that you uh, continue to bless these lessons. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.